the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. When we pray this, what exactly are we praying? Join us and find out next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. This is Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Welcome to our program. We continue our series on the Lord's Prayer. We're focusing on the sixth petition found here in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. The petition is, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. We have seen the sovereignty of God in this petition, making the prayer possible. And today we continue our look at the power of evil in this world making this petition necessary. Please join us. Here's our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. There is the world. By the world, I don't mean the trees and the grass and the mountains. I'm not talking about God's creation. I mean the system of evil that's all around us. Mankind in rebellion against God, with all of its allurements and institutions and attractions. Jesus said in Luke 21, 31 through 35, Be on the guard that your hearts may not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and the day come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold, Paul tells us later. This whole world has as its goal to destroy you. Don't think that this American culture is a friend of grace. Don't think it's a friend of yours. Don't think that the society we live in, this country or this state, is your friend. Everything about mankind in rebellion against God has one goal, and that is to weigh you down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life with all of the other allurements and attractions of this world. Someone asked a friend of mine, John Lofton, who was a syndicated columnist, why it is that the media is always attacking and slandering Christians. And John, as some of you know, not known for his gentleness of speech, said, because this culture hates you and wishes you were dead. And if you think that's an exaggeration, beloved, you are in trouble and you are a fool. We must acknowledge that this culture is ready and willing to devour us. And for that reason, we must pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But then there is the, the flesh also. James 1.14 says, Everyone is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now, when the Bible talks about the flesh... Understand what it means. 
It does not mean skin and bones and sinew. The word means fallen human nature. The unbeliever is eaten up with it. He's totally depraved. But even the Christian who has been born all over again by God's grace still has to struggle with the remnants of the flesh that remains within him. Remnants of that old fallen human nature, old desires and habits, tendencies and patterns the Christian will have to struggle with until he dies. So not only does he have to worry about Satan out there trying to destroy him, and he not only has to be concerned that he, he lives in a world that is trying to destroy him, but he also has to bear in mind that he has something within himself that is trying to destroy him. And that is the remnant of that old life that dominates the unbeliever. Write this on the inside of your eyelids. It was said by John Owen back in the 1600s, and I've had to say it to myself untold times in my life. He said, you must always be at killing sin because it is always at killing you. You must always be at killing sin, dealing with sin in your life and surrendering yourself to God and depending upon the power of the Holy Spirit because the sin that is in your life is always at killing you, beloved. It's never in remission. It never takes a rest. It's always eating and gnawing and corrupting and polluting. The Puritans said that the sin that is in your heart is ambitious and it's always trying to get away with the worst sin possible. So if you left sinful desires and appetites and lust alone in your heart and you didn't deal with them according to the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, then they would lead you to commit whatever those desires wanted you to perform, even the worst form of sin. You know, I've had a number of young people come to me thinking that they were strong enough to resist sin and say, I never thought I could do that. I, I recognize I'm a sinner. But I didn't think I was capable of doing something that was that gross. And that's because they didn't deal with the sin in their life. That is always, always trying to get away with as much as it can. So it's because of the power of evil all around us and in us that we must fervently pray every day. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then there is, of course, that weakness of man. Your weakness and mine. Our catechism says that when we are praying the sixth petition, we are acknowledging that we, even after the pardon of our sins, by reason of our corruption, weakness, and lack of watchfulness, are not only subject to be tempted and forward, and that is eager and ready, to expose ourselves unto temptation, but also of ourselves unable and unwilling to resist them, to recover out of them, and to reprove them, and that is to learn from them. And we are worthy to be left under the power of them. Now this is talking about those whose sins are forgiven, my friends. 
It is reference to those who are Christians. And it says, because of the remaining corruption and weakness that our indwelling sin causes in our heart, we are subject to be tempted. We are ready and eager to be tempted. We are unable and unwilling to resist temptation, and we are unwilling and unable to recover out of temptation and to learn from it. And we are worthy just to be left under the power of sin and temptation until we go to hell. There is indwelling sin within you, my friends. You must take that seriously, even as a Christian. You are a new person in Christ, but you are not a perfect person. And you will not be perfect until you die and are raised from the dead. And until then, says Paul in Romans 7 and various other places, such as Galatians 5.17, he says, For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For they are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. There is a struggle in the Christian that the unbeliever does not experience because he is a slave to sin. Your conflict, the war between the flesh that is the remnant of the old life, that fallen human nature, and of the spirit with a capital S, which is the new life that God has brought into you that is filled with the Holy Spirit, are always in a ferocious war. There is never peaceful coexistence between them. There is not a neutralized zone. The remnants of your sinful life are always lusting against the Holy Spirit, trying to bring down, corrupt, and degrade the new life that you have in Christ. And your new life in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is always lusting against the flesh and seeking to bring it down and to discredit it and to oppress it and destroy it. That's what's going on in your life as a Christian. You say, but preacher, I'm not aware of such a conflict going on in me. Every Christian has that conflict. Every Christian has that conflict. And if this sounds weird and strange to you, you need to give me a call this week. We need to talk, beloved. Because if you are a true Christian, you will have this ferocious war that makes you weak in and of yourself without Christ. Now, what are the effects of indwelling sin? They are, first of all, that we are subjected to temptations. We let things tempt us. Second, we are ready, quick, and eager to expose ourselves to temptations. This indwelling sin makes us eager. We want to put ourselves in places where we're going to be tempted. We are so weak that we leave ourselves open to be tempted. And let me give you an example through King Jehoshaphat. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 18. Now, Jehoshaphat was a great and godly king. He was a man of prayer. He's actually one of my favorite men in all of Scripture. God used him to bring a tremendous revival in Israel. 
in chapter 17, verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 9, 10, all kinds of complementary statements are found regarding the integrity and godliness and courage of King Jehoshaphat, standing up for the Lord and for the Lord's law. As a result, God continued to bless him. In verse 9 it says, They taught in Judah, having the book of the Lord with them, and they went throughout the cities of Judah and taught among the people. Thus, a revival. Then in verse 12, we see that Jehoshaphat grew greater and greater and that he was also, again, a man of prayer. And some of the best prayers of the Bible are by Jehoshaphat, who was a very spiritual man. Now look at chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he allied himself by marriage with Ahab, probably one of his daughters marrying one of Ahab's sons. And some years later, he went down to visit Ahab at Samaria, and Ahab slaughtered many sheep and oxen for him in abundance and for the people that he had with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. And Ahab, king of Israel, said unto Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered him, I am as thou art, a Jew, and my people as your people, and we will be with you in war. Now, first of all, Jehoshaphat didn't have any business entering into any kind of allegiance with wicked Ahab and Jezebel, Jew or not. Jehoshaphat was great and powerful by God's grace in and of himself. But Ahab said, join me in this treaty and we will attack this nation to gain more land and riches. What was Jehoshaphat thinking? More wealth? More power? Maybe if I make this treaty with Ahab and help him in war against his enemies, it will make me greater and stronger and wealthier. And God will protect me like he always has. Notice what happened. Verse 31. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that he said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore they compassed about him to fight. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God moved them to depart from him. Now notice chapter 19, verse 1. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from the Lord. Wake up, America. Nevertheless, there's some good things found in thee in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. He was a man who sought God, and yet he was ready to cave in to Ahab's temptation so that God had to bring a prophet into his life and say to him, how dare you enter into an allegiance and succumb to temptation with a man who hates your God? Now the point I'm getting at is, here is an example of a godly man of prayer whom God blessed abundantly and yet left to himself and the weaknesses of his own life and indwelling sin was too quick and too eager and too ready to cave into a temptation to Ahab. Also, the effects of indwelling sin makes us unwilling 
and unable to resist temptation, to recover out of it and to learn from it. You see, if it wasn't for God's Holy Spirit in our lives, we wouldn't even want to resist temptation. We would not want to recover out of it. And we would certainly not be able to learn anything from it. That's how weak we are. Let's talk about King Asa, another great king. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 16, and I'll read the first 10 verses. Chapter 16 of Second Chronicles, the first 10 verses. In the sixth and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came, upon, came up against Judah and built Ramah, to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt at Damascus, saying, There is a league between me and thee, as there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go, break thy league with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. And Ben-Hadad hearkened unto Asa, and set the captain of his armies against the city of Israel, and they smote Ijon and Dan, and Abilmayim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And it came to pass, when Baasha heard it, that he left off building of Ramah, and let his work cease. Then Asa the king took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah, and the timber thereof, wherewith Baasha was building, and he built there with Geba and Mespah. And at the time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. We, we're, not the Ethiopian, we're not the Ethiopians and the uh, Lubims, a huge host, with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Then Asa was wroth with the seer, and put him in a prison house, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing, and Asa oppressed some of the people the same time. Now Asa wasn't a wicked king. Judah even experienced something of a revival under King Asa. But when the opportunity came to make a treaty with an ungodly man, rather than trusting in the Lord, he gave in to temptation. Then the prophet of God had to come to him and say, Asa, haven't you learned anything yet? You were put in a similar situation before where you were tempted to trust men in the face of the Lubim and the Ethiopians, but you trusted in me. And I gave you victory over them, God said. And I will always give victory to my people whose hearts are completely mine. Sometimes you see God orchestrates life in such a way that, when we, that we are tempted so we can see whether or not our hearts are truly His, completely His. So here you have the example of a Christian 
who when left to himself was so weak that he couldn't even learn from his temptation, much more recover himself out of that temptation, because even after God rebuked him, did Asa repent? No, he got mad at the preacher for stepping on his toes, and he sent him to prison. He was so weak, he couldn't even recover out of his temptation. And besides the fact that indwelling sin makes it possible for us to be tempted, makes us ready, quick, and eager to expose ourselves to temptation, and makes us unwilling to resist temptations and to recover out of them and to learn from them, it says we are worthy to be left under the power of temptation and sin, and but for the grace of God, that is where we would be left. You and I should earnestly pray, once we realize our own weaknesses, that God would not do to us what He did to His ancient people in the Old Testament. In Psalm 81, verses 11 and 12, God says this, But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me, so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their hearts to walk in their own devices. And God's not talking about His enemies here, beloved. He's talking about His covenant people. They didn't listen to Him. They didn't submit their consciences to His Word. They didn't try to bring their wills into conformity to His will that's revealed in Scripture. They did not obey Him. They found every reason under the sun, every excuse under the sun to go their own way and to give in to this temptation and that temptation. So God says, okay, I'm just going to turn you over to the stubbornness of your own hearts. I'm just going to let them live the rest of their lives according to the wicked devices and schemes and strategies and seductions of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Does that describe any of you? Is caving into temptation just a normal thing for you and you've gotten used to it? Rather than fighting and struggling against it, you just give in. Evil is powerful in our loves, beloved, and we are terribly weak. I urge you today, rather than waiting for a sovereign God to lead you into those times of frustration and captivity and for sin to teach you lessons, I pray right here and now that in your heart of hearts you will pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Lord, deal with the weaknesses of my heart and the power of the world and the flesh and the devil that are out to destroy me. Beloved, we must be vigilant in knocking at the door of heaven, beseeching God to enable us to withstand the temptations that flood into our lives. We cannot wake day by day without crying to God for His strength and wisdom to overcome the evil all around us, thinking we can do it all on our own. You cannot. Outside of Christ, we will fall over and over again. Do not fail to pray regularly, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For on your own, you are much too weak to beat back the wiles of Satan, 
the deceptive powers of this world and the darkness of even your own hearts. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, be with us, strengthen us, and enable us to overcome those temptations that come flooding into our lives. We do not want to be left to our own devices, but if it is necessary for us to learn those lessons we need to learn, to better glorify and honor you, then, Lord, we beseech you to guide us and protect us through those valleys. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us, and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 